0: to the evan roberts podcast i guess it's an instant reaction to the nets game Uh, it's also an instant reaction to the fact the mets traded steven mats which i found out about as the nets game ended because my routine now that we're on till seven o'clock and i commute to the city is that i get home i know you probably don't care about this but whatever it's my freaking podcast Uh, i get home i eat dinner i kiss my wife i take a shower and I usually start the 740 Nets games at about 815, 820. And I eventually catch up, usually in the early part of the fourth quarter. Tonight was a little different. I caught up probably at the tail end of the fourth quarter of this game. For whatever reason, I'm not sure. Maybe I enjoyed dinner so much. I really spent my time enjoying the succulent shrimp that I ate tonight. So once I catch up, then I can go on Twitter. I can see what the hell's going on. I can check my text messages because I don't want to be spoiled. I don't want anything spoiling it. I was on the phone with Craig probably 10 minutes into the game. He calls me up, and he starts it by saying, I know you're watching the Nets game. And I said, no, I'm not watching the Nets game because I DVR the Nets game. I haven't started yet, and if you say a freaking word about this game, I'm going to be agitated. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to threaten you? No, I'll just be agitated. And, uh... He didn't say anything until the very end, and he said, Wow, I can't believe it's 12 to 1. Luckily, it was never 12 to 1. And so he was just, uh, what do they call it? Pulling my leg, as you may say. Uh, let me, I, I guess I'll give a few comments about Mats, and then we'll get to this basketball game because more people probably care about Steven Mats than my big three Brooklyn Nets. Look, I, I, it's one of those things, it's like the Adam Adevino trade. The Mets traded Steven Matz to dump salary. Okay, we could look at the three players they got back. No, they they traded Steven Matz to clear $5.2 million. When they tendered him a contract, I think there was a possibility Steven Matz would be on this roster, depending on how the offseason went. Obviously, to be able to tender him a contract, move the entire portion of the deal and get anything back is a positive. But my interpretation of this and it may not necessarily mean anything specific about which player necessarily they're targeting, is that they don't want to cross that luxury tax threshold. And every dollar counts. You know, we saw with the Yankees and Adam Adovino clearing out $8 million. So I don't think it necessarily means they're going to get Trevor Bauer. I don't think it necessarily means they're going to acquire Nolan Arenado. But here's what it means in terms of the depth of this rotation. As much as we all want to crap on Steven Matz, the Mets hurt the depth of their rotation. And don't give me uh Sean Foley read, all right, as well. That's depth that they just got back. Give me a break. No. Stephen Matz, despite how god-awful he was last year, and he was god-awful, nobody's denying it, was still a a left-handed depth guy that you could have, where if there are injuries, you never know. And I know I say that a lot about left-handed. I used to say that a lot about Jonathan Neese, nice, and I've certainly said it about Stephen Matz. So I get that Sean Reed Foley, which is the only guy in the deal that I'm not familiar with, let's be honest, because he's pitched in the major leagues, and he's 25, 26 years old, and he's a depth starter. I wouldn't put him ahead of Steven Matz in terms of who I'd rather have as a depth starter. So they hurt their depth. It's not a big deal. I'm not crying about it. I'm just saying that's what happened. But if they're going to use the $5 million – Because they want to sign Trevor Bauer or they are going to sign, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. And another relief arm or whatever it is, then we can judge it. Like a part of why I've warmed up now to what the Yankees did with trading Adam Adovino is I like Darren O'Day. And they were able to add him for significantly less than what they pay Adam Adovino. And then the hope is they'll use some of that savings on something if you're a Yankee fan, not bringing back Brett Gardner. Because I thought I made a good comparison today. Brett Gardner is like a drug for Aaron Boone. It's like a drug. Instead of being able to use Mike Tuchman and get him at bats and get him in the lineup, when Brett Gardner's sitting there, it's like you can't stay away from it. Anyhow, so that's my feeling on the match trade. I I do think it leads to something else. I think the Mets offseason, they've had a lot of different irons and many different fires. I hate that cliche, but I just did it. They've had a lot of irons and many different fires. Things have evolved throughout this offseason, but they're clearly not done. And I'm intrigued to see what happens next. Uh, Let's get to the basketball team. You know, maybe it's because I've been mentally trained by Kenny Atkinson and mentally trained by Sean Marks. But I cannot get used to the fact about how many minutes the Stars are playing, especially Kevin Durant. And to a lesser degree, Kyrie Irving. James Harden, fine. You know, James Harden played 45 minutes tonight. I don't have an issue with that. I've said this before about Harden. One of the compliments I have about him is you look at his track record. The guy goes out and plays every game. He's very durable. He plays a lot of minutes. I I, I don't look at managing James Harden's minutes as something I've got to think about. I got to admit. I am thinking about the fact that Kevin Durant played 42 minutes tonight and Kyrie Irving played 41 minutes tonight. And again, maybe it's because in 2019 when the Nets made the playoffs, only two guys managed averaged a shade over 30 minutes per game and you've got Durant and Irving, one guy who's got a clear injury history, the other guy is coming off this horrific injury, that As I see, and I'm not talking about this late in games, because obviously in overtime, latter part of the fourth quarter, you're going to ride your stars. Totally get that. I'm not asking uh, for major substitutions in the midst of overtime. But here's what I am saying. Kevin Durant in the first quarter of this game played the first 10 and a half minutes. Instead of stealing a substitution at the six-minute mark or the seven-minute mark. In the second quarter of this game, he came in at about the six-and-a-half-minute mark. Played the entire rest of the second quarter. All right, fine. That's nothing crazy. In the third quarter of this game, he played virtually. No, no. He played every second of the third quarter. In the fourth quarter, they gave him rest until about the halfway point. And they were able to do it because James Harden did a great job leading the second unit at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Great job. I think that was Harden, Brown, TLC, Joe Harris. They went small and Jeff Green in the middle. Here's my point. My long-winded point. My monolog kind of point. Early in this game is where I question the minutes for Kevin Durant. I'm not questioning closing the last six and a half minutes of the regulation period with Kevin. I'm certainly not questioning overtime with Kevin. But I am very mixed about it because... You got to be smart with this guy. Now, I'll also admit that Kevin Durant is not showing any signs of needing rest. You know, I know the last couple of nights he has not shot the basketball incredibly well. What was he tonight? Wow, I'm stunned. (laughs) I just looked at the box score. I got to tell you, maybe my expectations are that high for him. I'm stunned that I saw he shot 13 for 26. I don't know why. Maybe it was because in the first half of this game he got off to a slow start. But it didn't feel like Kevin shot the basketball that well. You know why it felt that way? I think I have the answer. It felt like most of Durant's field goals were finger roll at the basket, explosive dunks at the basket. It felt like he was off with his mid-range jump shot. Maybe that's the best way to describe it. Either way, look, Kevin's playing at a high level. Defensively, too. So it's not as if I think he needs the rest because the players resulted in it. It's more that the guy's coming off an Achilles injury, and I'm thinking about it. You know, it's on my mind. Like, hey, maybe you should be sort of careful with him. Kyrie, too. I mean, Kyrie's played a handful of games since coming back. KD had a huge block in this game. I think it was of John Collins when the game was tied late in regulation. And that continues to be a trend with Durant. His defense is also at a very high level. Now, here's the other side to this minutes thing. Because I'm, I'm I'm, giving you my thoughts. I'm not necessarily telling you, my God, this is stupid. He should only play 30 minutes. I, I get it. You also want to get him back into, I wouldn't say game shape. He's clearly in game shape. But the guy hadn't played in 18 months. So a part of you says you want to be careful. A part of you says let him play. But the other aspect of it, which is really important, is getting these guys minutes together. Letting them learn their tendencies. The chemistry has to continue to develop. And I don't mean that as much on the offensive side. I mean on the defensive side. So I guess that's the other thing that I'm sure Steve Nash is thinking about. You got to manage the two, though. You have to manage not burning Kevin Durant out, coming off an Achilles injury, but also maintaining that these guys need to be on the floor as much as possible. And look, they're playing big minutes. I mean, there's just... There's no denying it. I thought in a lot of ways their defense was better tonight than it had been over the first stretch of games. You try to take seasons and stretches, not just a game at a time. There were still those breakdowns. I think a lot of it's communication. Sometimes it's effort, but sometimes we saw James Harden make a play. You know, Joe Harris had that steal with his back. Uh, DeAndre DeAndre Jordan is so frustrating because there are times in which you watch him, and he is that rim protector this team needs. But one common thing from Steve Nash, not blaming him for it, is DeAndre Jordan doesn't play. You know, he doesn't play late in games. Basically, here's the trend of DeAndre's playing time. And this is without Jared Allen. obviously. He plays the first seven minutes of the game. Jeff Green comes in, small ball five. DeAndre will come back in middle to latter part of the second quarter. He'll start the second half, and when DeAndre comes out, the first time Nash takes him out, let's say four-minute mark, five-minute mark, wherever it is of the third quarter, he's gone. <laughs> you won't see him again. DeAndre is not closing with this team. Jeff Green's the closer right now. And look, Jeff Green gives you effort, and I appreciate it. He was called for one BS offensive foul. He had a couple of ferocious dunks in this game. I think... um He's coming back to earth with his three-point shot, which you knew was going to happen. I mean, Jeff Green wasn't going to shoot 50% from three all year long. He was one for five, one for six today. You knew that was going to happen. He does give you a consistent effort. Timothy Luwabo Cabareau. Here's the thing about TLC. It never feels like it's a good game for TLC. It's either a great game or an abysmal shooting game. And that continued today. I mean, he is just at times, broken with his shot. But the guy we all have to love, the guy I love, the guy you love, the guy that is safely in this rotation for the time being, and he should be, is Bruce Brown. And I'm not just talking about, you know, Bruce Brown finishing at the basket. I'm talking about Bruce Brown's defense. He gives them a pesky perimeter defender. And, look, he played 18 minutes tonight. Should he play more? I'm not going to bitch about 18 minutes. I'm not going to bitch about it. But look, Bruce Brown brings an element to this second unit, brings an element to this team that's incredibly important. A couple of things, though, that did surprise me. I, I know that you've got three closers on this team. Totally get it. If you look at the end of regulation, Kevin Durant did not have the ball in his hands once. Not once. In the final two minutes of this game, final three minutes of this game in regulation. Overtime's a different story. You had James Harden drawing a foul, getting to the line great. You had the Kyrie Irving fade away late in the shot clock, where he showed a lot of poise and kind of took his time. He knew the clock well. Fantastic. Jeff Green missed an open corner three. Again, coming back to normal, but not going to kill him. It was a good look. I mean, it is what it is. He missed it. You had the beautiful Harden fine for Jeff Green for a lay And then you had the Harden miss step-back three at the end of regulation. So I'm not just saying Kevin Durant didn't take a shot in the last three minutes. That's one thing. The ball never reached the hands of Kevin Durant in the last three minutes of this game. And I And I get, they have Kyrie Irving. They have James Harden. They've got multiple closers on this roster. I get it still a little bit difficult to to kind of really digest because the star of this team, the man on this team is Kevin Durant. And look, I gave him credit they closed the game out even though KD did have that turnover, which I'm not going to kill him about, but you know, up 3 40 seconds to go, he just loses the basketball, and I've seen that from Durant a couple of times late in games. I'm not going to kill him for that. But bottom line is they hit their free throws down the stretch and they were able to beat the Atlanta Hawks, which is nice. You know, I'm mixed because I'd love for the Nets to just blow everybody out like they did the first two games of the season. That'd be great. I mean, who wouldn't want that? And I'm not sitting here saying, oh, I need to be entertained with close games. No, just win and blow your team out. Blow everybody out. But I could say this after the fact, after I take a deep breath, there is a benefit. There is a positive to playing so many of these close games. Because one of the things that was brought up and – Look, you, you know my opinion on the trade, how I reacted to the trade. My reaction to the trade never had a lot to do, and I actually never said this because it was never a worry. I was never worried about, oh, three guys, ball dominant. What are they going to do? There's one basketball. That stupid cliche. Every time someone says it, like a part of me dies. There's one basketball. I hate that. Look, these are three elite-level players. They're going to learn how to play together offensively. They already have. You know, yeah, are there times in which Kyrie Irving is just standing around? Sure. Are there times where James Harden was tepid, not the last game, plus five minutes? Sure. But it's going to work offensively. You already see it. You already see it, and they've played, you know, how many games together? Never a worry. And I wasn't even worried about what's going to happen late in games. You know, I'm critiquing the fact that Durant didn't have the ball in his hands in the last two and a half minutes of the fourth quarter, but it's not as if Kyrie and Harden shots, other than the step back three at the end of regulation, which was less than ideal. The rest of the offense was fine. I'm just making a point. Hey, KD is the best player. I'd like to have him have the ball in his hands, not not killing the flow of the offense. The offense was fine outside of the step back three that ended regulation. So I'm not worried about their offense and the way they're going to connect. And I'm not worried about who's taking the last shot. With that said, it's great that they've had a lot of these opportunities. Well, we've seen a handful of close games. You know, I know the the second Miami game wasn't, I mean, it was close. It just got away in the last five minutes. So The last five minutes weren't close, but it was a relatively close game. The first Miami game Saturday night in Brooklyn was a close game. I think that's a good thing. The first Cleveland game, obviously, it was a brutal loss, but a double overtime close game, that's a good thing. The Milwaukee game was a close game. I know we're going back now prior to uh, Kyrie's comeback, but still, I think the close games are good. I don't like it in the moment. (laughs) I don't enjoy it as it's happening, but I think it's good because the one thing I have to remind myself, we all have to remind ourselves, is that while it is the regular season and I want to win every single game, This really is like this gigantic preseason. I hate to say it. It really is. I know that's not something we're used to as Net fans, but that's the reality. I mean, I'd like to be the one seed. I'm not going to lie to you. Sure. I don't know if that means we're in the building as a one seed. I'm not even thinking about it in that regard. I'm not thinking about home court advantage. I'm thinking about being a competitive fan that wants to win every game I see my team play. I know right now as we sit here, I know that they're a game back of the number one seed. I know that. So I pay attention to it. With that said, (laughs) it is a gigantic glorified preseason. One quick thing about the buyout market. I've mentioned Andre Drummond as a dream candidate. and I know that's been out there now the last couple of days. I think it was Zach Lowe who said, random executive believes it's inevitable the Nets end up with Andre Drummond. I I think there's a chance. I, I still can't imagine it's a high chance. So the reason I say that is because even though Andre Drummond makes $28 million a year, which is an absurd, I don't want to say it's an absurd number. It's a very high number for the way he's valued around the league. That's probably how I would define it. And I know it's tough to imagine, well... How's he going to be traded? What's he going to be traded for? What can Cleveland get back that makes it work financially where that trade makes sense? I know it's not easy. I, I guess what I still think, though, is that Andre Drummond is too good to simply be bought out. And I'd like to be wrong. And I think there's a chance he's bought out because of the figure of what he makes and because his game, even though he averages, you know, 18 and 14 basically every single year, He's a walking double-double. He's a rebounding machine. I just don't think he's valued anywhere near $28 million a year. And then how does it work trade-wise? There aren't a lot of scenarios on the table that make sense. I'm sure there are teams that would want him. The Charlotte Hornets have always been interested in him. I'm sure there are others. So I here's how I would put it, based on all the facts that I just laid out. I think it's sixty five thirty five. he ends up getting traded. But in that 35% chance that they either can't find a partner or they don't deem the return worth it, where they say, nah, not really. Like, great, we got to take back money. What are we getting for this? And if he is bought out, yeah, I'm confident the Nets will get him. Why wouldn't I be? Guys from Mount Vernon, New York. I went to UConn. And the Nets have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. And Andre knows he'll play significant minutes. So, But that is the dream guy. You know, basically, Andre Drummond just has to come here and freaking rebound and defend. That's it. I don't want to see him in the post. I don't want to see him taking three-point shots, which he's done the last two years. I don't want to see any of that. I don't want to see any of that. All I want to see is Andre Drummond defend and rebound. And that would be an amazing, amazing piece to add. I still put it less than 50-50. I think it's a possibility. But I don't know. I still think they're going to end up finding a trade partner for him. If it's not him, look, there are other guys that make sense. His teammate Javal McGee makes sense. There's other guys that fit. And we know Sean Mark's going to add somebody. We still know that. Because DeAndre Jordan is just... (laughs) How did they give, I, I know why they gave him the contract they gave him, because he's friends with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but my God, he's not playing 35 minutes in a playoff game. Who the hell's kidding who? All right. Who we got coming up? We got the Oklahoma City Thunder coming up. The 12-8 Brooklyn Nets. And for anybody wondering, oh, do you like the James Harden trade now? You know what? It doesn't matter. That's how I look at it. He's on the team. He has said all the right things. He's played well. He's fit in relatively well, despite being maybe a little bit too timid at times. So it is what it is. I can't sit here worrying about what doesn't matter anymore. The draft picks are gone. Karis levert has gone. Thank God he's okay, by the way. And Jared Allen's gone. So they got Oklahoma City on the road and Washington on the road. You know what we call that? Fellow net fans, you know what we call that? We call that the Revenge Tour, bitches. That's what we call it. It's the Revenge Tour. I remember that loss to the Thunder in Brooklyn. I certainly remember that Washington loss in Brooklyn. We call Friday and we call Sunday the Revenge Tour. And then they play the Clippers. I have no idea if Kawhi and Paul George are going to play. And then uh, they got that rematch with the Sixers in about a week and a half. Either way, good win. Three in a row. Sorry that Joe Harris's three-point streak ended of consecutive games of the three-point shot. And look, outside of that sweep at Cleveland, things have been going well. So let's enjoy the ride, baby. God knows how long this is going to last. All right. Thanks for listening to How We Going to Label This, Brooklyn Nets, but also a little bit of Stephen Matts edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. Make sure you're listening to Carton and Roberts Monday through Friday at 2 o'clock on the Fan.